0: It's a Jackalope Carnival jack, jack, Jackalope, Jackalope Carnival. Hi, I'm Becca. Hi, I'm Eric.
1: And you're listening to Jackalope Carnival, a sideshow of stories, a biweekly podcast where we explore the paranormal, the unusual, and the downright odd. 60 years ago, Betty and Barney Hill, a recently married couple, were on their way home from visiting Canada. By all accounts, they had a pleasant vacation, went to Niagara Falls, did their four-day trip, and were ready to return to their very respectable jobs as a social worker, Betty, and a postal worker, Barney. It was late at night, and the roads were dark, but the Hills wanted to get home as soon as possible. They decided that they could push through and drive well into the night. Barney's at the wheel. Betty was looking out the window. They didn't notice any cars, um, especially because they were driving so late. And Betty starts to notice something when they get to New Hampshire. And what she notices is that there's a light and it appears to be following them. So she tells Barney, "Uh, I think that light is following us. And he says, it's a satellite or a star. And Betty's like, "Um, stars don't follow you. What Betty had noticed is something that's going to make this trip a defining moment in her life, but really a defining moment in history. They're already unusual because Betty and Barney are a biracial couple in 1961. And what about is about to happen to them is going to change their lives. Um, it's going to change some of our lives. Somehow some people see our place in the universe. Betty and Barney Hill are about to become the first notable um, big public alien abduction story. They are Basically, the prototype, the definitive story of alien experimentation and abduction. As Barney continues driving through the White Mountains of New Hampshire, Betty begins to notice these lights are really just they're moving. They're moving in odd ways, and they are following. And she's she said again, Barney. She's probably nagging him at this point. Like, Barney, this isn't a satellite. And he's like, It must be a plane then. Maybe it's a helicopter. But eventually, as much as he's dismissing it, he must be starting to feel a little unsettled because he stops at a rest area, still thinking there's a terrestrial explanation for all this. He thinks it's pretty strange, but as apparently 60% of Americans, um, because I just looked at a Gallup poll, would think that if they saw a UFO, that there's probably a pretty good explanation. Maybe it's technology we don't know about. This is where Barney's... Uh, landing on the spectrum, Betty is like, there is nothing in this world that's going to move like that. So, and, and this is, is 1961.
0: Us? So, I imagine it's even <laughs> yes. less common at that time, right?
1: Yeah, I, I to see UFOs or to uh, what? What exactly?
0: To basically, you know, it was it was less common. I think for folks to publicly announce that they thought that UFOs were real or that UFOs were something other, you know, than yes. terrestrial technology.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, again, and you, you kind of talked about this when we went over um, our inaugural episode with Mothman. I mean, this is a couple that they're professionals. Um, they have some reputation. They have reputations to lose by talking about seeing UFOs. Um, and, and that'll come up again. So, uh, like I said, they stop, then they move on. Barney's like, OK, probably an explanation, but he's getting nervous. The object still follows them. And eventually they stop again. And what happens here is that Barney gets out and he's looking with his binoculars and he's starting to get a strange feeling. And I've heard reports when they've talked about this, that um, it's, it's a report from Betty's niece, actually, who she says that when... They held their arm out. The object seemed to be the size of a dinner plate. And then she goes on to explain that, you know, if you hold up an aspirin arm length, it'll cover the moon. So this is how close and how big this object was to them. And Barney starts feeling this weird sensation that he's drawn to this object. And he gets nearer and nearer to this sleek, glowing and pancake-like object. Mm. Nuclear Pancakes. <laughs> Eric, is that our band name? <laughs> Nuclear <I> mean, Pancake? <laughs> yeah,
0: we're only five minutes in, but Nuclear Pancake might be it. Although I don't, I have no, I mean, it no might clue be better what better, genre but... Nuclear Pancake would be. Although I think it would make a great.
1: I think I've 80s cover band, perhaps.
0: Maybe. I was thinking like New Wave. Uh, actually, Exotica Revival.
1: Yeah, that's just because you're into Exotica uh, Revival. And I just saw. Um, the Sparks brothers documentary. So I'm thinking eighties new wave and you're thinking, but either way, well, you so, go yeah, it's up for grabs. To... Yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right. So I did not describe this as pancake like and sleek. It's actually from um, John J. Fuller's an interrupted journey, which is from 1966. And he wrote this with the Hills. So this was actually made into a movie in 1975 called the UFO incident starring James Earl Jones. So I think Barney did pretty okay if James Earl Jones is making the movie of your life. That's pretty uh, awesome, actually. Or at least, or voicing it over. I mean, goodness sake. So, yeah, they described this as pancake-like. It has uh, fenders. It has red lights on it. And what's really scary
0: Are there fins is on that the fenders?
1: Barney's... Pardon?
0: Are there fins on the fenders?
1: Yeah, they actually said there were fins. Yeah, well, and, well, I mean, it's, the night, I'm it's reading 61, the report, so, you know. That makes sense. Yeah. They actually say that it was cigar shaped no matter what way it turned. So I'm not sure if that cigar pancake, I'm not really sure because I've seen different accounts, but mm. um, the military report says cigar shaped. The un- uninterrupted journey says pancake like. Mm. So <clears throat> what's really scary is that as Barney gets closer, he sees that there's figures and they seem to be pressed up against the window. And they're wearing these black, tight, shiny uniforms on this craft. So now you know, but you probably already guessed it that aliens have a PVC fetish. There it is. Now you know. <laughs> if you didn't know before, and Eric, do not, do not edit that out. I know you want to edit that out.
0: <laughs> I well, it, it's a first for Jacks up carnival. PG
1: thirteen. Yeah. it's a PG thirteen episode That's okay. this time, hey, right?
0: Welcome to Jackalot Carnival, where you too um, will hear things that will make your kids ask uncomfortable questions.
1: So, this red beam of light starts to come out of this spaceship, and Barney gets hysterical, as you would. You're in the middle of a field, you see these aliens through the window, you're feeling this light coming at you. You're gonna run.
0: It kind of and sounds like he a run. It
1: kind of sounds like,
0: like a rave. Yeah. Like it's like a couple of decades ahead of time, but it's a rave. Red light. But PVC. here's the difference. Okay.
1: Here's the difference, Eric. There's mm. no sound. I'm glad you brought that up. So it's like a few decades later where you have one of those silent discos. <laughs> Only the aliens can hear the music. <laughs> But right, he's there's no sound. And that's really confusing to Barney. This is something that's really going to bother him the whole time, The how is there no sound? So he sees this light and he says, we got to go. He's afraid they're going to get captured. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And he tries to escape. They get in the car, but this is where they start to hear some sound. They hear this strange buzzing noise. And they have this really weird feeling. And then the next thing they know, It's two hours later. They still are in their car, but they're 35 miles down the road. They see another mile marker and a sign for another city, so they know this to be true. Hmm. They've lost time. And this is going to be something that's kind of definitively in alien abduction stories, right? Lost time. You don't know where you were. You don't know what happened. And this is what happened to them. Um, It seems like they must have escaped, but they're not unscathed. Betty is wearing this dress, which is torn. It has this pink powder substance on it that later is allegedly analyzed and nobody can figure out what it is. Um, And she actually donates this dress to, I believe, the University of New Hampshire because she hopes one day scientists are going to have the tools to figure out what this is exactly. She's like, well, we might not know what it is now, but maybe later. Barney's shoes are scuffed on the tops. So they don't know how these things happen to them, and they're they're confused and they feel unsettled.
0: I can only imagine they do.
1: Yeah, as you would, right? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Holy cow!
0: Although you know, there are a so, lot of components of the story that really do match up to the rave theory. I'm just saying, like unknown powders, <laughs> um, lost time, ABC, torn Um Yeah,
1: right.
0: except right. like you said though, without the music though, so that really kind of that
1: really scuttles that theory. You know, I mean, maybe they had headphones. Like I said, maybe it's one of those silent discos. Mm. So you heard it first. Raves were invented by aliens shortly after the Hills make it home, because they do, they make it home. It's like five in the morning. They, Betty decides to contact the military base because she's really worried about radiation. She's just, she doesn't know what went on. And she hopes like, look, maybe the military can tell us, oh yeah, we had a training, you know, just something to settle their mind. She says she feels dismissed, but when Barney talks to them, he says they were a little too interested. So you have two conflicting stories here, but that's pretty much the only time that you're going to have such a huge conflict between the two on their stories. And they do report it to the Peace military base. Uh, Betty's niece claims that there was, in fact, a UFO confirmed in the area by the military I haven't looked into the veracity of this claim, though. I did read excerpts from the Peace Air Force Base report, which does definitely exist, um, but I have no idea whether that is a true statement. So I don't know. Barney's reluctant while Betty is much more uh, gung-ho about reporting this. He stands by what he said, but he feels a little embarrassed reporting it. He said he felt a little foolish,
0: and so I'm actually trying to, I'm trying to figure this out because you mentioned they were biracial and we're talking about 1961. Yes. In general, folks were a bit more sexist and racist, where you could expect that folks would be more dismissive of women or people might be more dismissive of African-Americans if they're not African-American um, during this time.
1: So yeah, Barney did say that, that he felt that they were too interested, but um, so Barney is black, Betty is white. Um, They were both members of the NAACP, and Barney sits on the board of a U.S. Civil Rights Commission for his local chapter, I guess. And so one of the reasons that he is a little reluctant to talk about it, at first both of them, but specifically Barney, is that he was afraid that something this fantastic was going to overshadow the work that they were trying to do for civil rights, Mm-hmm. uh the 1966 book that was written on the incident there's two books that i wanted to read um one was by the niece i couldn't get a hold of that in the book that i read that they helped with in 1966 they say that there was no problem amongst their friends with their marriage like people were really accepting in their small town you know they go to a unitarian church their members of the NAACP, you know, maybe within their crowd. So they they both said that that wasn't much of a problem. I don't know if I believe that, (laughs) but I don't think that's the most unbelievable part of the story. (laughs) Fair.
0: Well, you know, it it sounds like it it sounds like they've surrounded themselves with uh, with some pretty egalitarian uh, minded folks. uh, Like
1: minded. Yeah, sure. Actually, the University of New Hampshire, which has the papers of Betty and Barney Hill, they did have... An exhibit about their civil rights work, about things that they had written, and about things that they had done for civil rights. And I actually read something because as you're reading, it's, it's UFOs we're talking about, right? As you're reading, you're going to find people who are vehemently against it and people who are very supportive. And one of the things that someone had written was, you know, now they want to say they're civil rights, you know, now they want to say these people were civil rights heroes. And that really, you know, I don't know denigrates real civil rights heroes and i don't think that a i mean they have the records but b why can't you be both clearly they were clearly this was something they felt strongly enough about to break social norms of the time but i think that they were also worried in breaking the the social norms about alien abduction it was gonna be a step too far for their civil rights work
0: but that's a theme we have going on this week, right? Because I'm going to talk about Phoenix Lights in a minute. And the angle that I'm specifically – Oh, yes. Is we're going to be talking about like what – because I'm – i this is ready for the next chapter of Opposite Day. I'm rather agnostic sometimes about UFOs um, being for sure visitors from other planets. Uh, that being, I say why not. Okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, so there we are.
1: I don't have any strong opinions on it, but I mean, as for do I believe in life outside of Earth? Yes, absolutely. How could there not be? The universe is vast. And I don't know if that life is mold. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> or sentient? I have no idea.
0: Yeah i i have a strong I have a strong suspicion that life, it, the, you know, there's right, just mathematically speaking, there's likely life on other planets. That's not the point I'm making. Uh, the point I'm making, rather, is that I'm not sure that all the things, all the phenomena that we put into the UFO box or what are they calling it now, UAP, because obviously, I, I feel like we probably should have led with this, but I think that a lot of folks already know this. The one who kind of nudged us towards this topic because. UFOs slash UAPs yeah, are definitely. all the rage right now. They're, they're all over the news. We got a government report being written. Folks are talking about it. My point isn't that, that there isn't life in other planets. My point is that in this vast universe, if it is teeming with life, and it just very well might be, it seems likely even, that they would figure out a way to travel interstellar distances um, is something I would love to know more about. Even more so, even if they did, like, why would they, you know, why would they come here? I, you know, that's, why those, not? yeah, yeah I, I think that at best, you know,
1: I, I, I can see that I was reading some of the things I read, we're talking about, like, why would they come here and do the same experiments? Well, we do the same experiments on animals that don't need to be done for makeup testing. So, you know, why not? We would hope that they would be better than us. But perhaps they just have better technology. Now, I'm not necessarily, you know, 100% that I believe this. I just I'm open to it. Sure. And but I think like everything. I'm... That's unfortunately Becca always kinda of like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but to, why not?
0: And that's that's kinda of what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the the matrix, the kind of the social matrix that is surrounding uh talking about UFOs. Or talking about um, experiences or belief, because I'm not saying no, I'm not saying yes, either, even though I, you know, I'm probably a bit more skeptical about this phenomenon than I am about some others. But nevertheless, I think we're pretty much in the same of the same mind here. You know, sure. I don't know. But at the same time, this isn't a neutral topic in society. And there is there are repercussions. There are reactions to when you put forward stories.
1: I guess my question here of uh, someone who's studied religion is why, if you frame it in a religion, are we more respectful about it than if you frame it in aliens because we tend to be?
0: Hmm, and
1: are they not both belief?
0: right? Yeah, that's a good question. so
1: that's my that's my question I'm putting out there to folks today.
0: My question to you is that then in you know, in that vein. Would you consider then ghost stories to be in the um, you know the wheelhouse of religious claims, and therefore do you feel like ghost stories are more accepted than UFO stories? Because I'm not sure they are.
1: I can't. I can't say that either is more accepted. I don't have a particular stance on this either way. I think that any phenomenon that involves belief is always met with skepticism but for some reason, I feel like if you put it under an accepted system like religion, people are more likely to give it respect than if you say ghost or UFO or anything like that. And that's one of the reasons I really like talking about this, because in our professional lives, sometimes we don't get to talk about the fringe things. <laughs> um, but on Jackalope Carnival, that's all we talk about. Right, right. <laughs> um, well, it's interesting, though, and I'm going to kind of segue back into good old Betty and Barney, because I think that that was a good lead in um, because Betty and Barney aren't talking to anybody about this for two years and they still don't really remember what happened, but they're starting to have nightmares. They're starting to have anxiety. They just don't feel safe. They don't know what happened to them. This is affecting them. And one of Betty's friends is a psychologist and uh, they recommend to her that she should try this thing that's all the rage at the time, which is being regressed in hypnosis. And this is where people start saying that, hmm, maybe this isn't them making up, maybe this is implanted memories. So they enter the new character in the story, psychiatrist and neurologist, Benjamin Simon. Dr. Simon specializes in hypnosis. And starting in January 1964 and continuing for a month, Dr. Simon helps them start to piece together what happened, what happened during this missing time. Basically, they tell the story that's even more fascinating and more fantastical than the one before it. And this is where we really get a description of what people within um, UFO belief circles talk about as the grays. So these are your standard gray, big-eyed, leather-wearing, (laughs) PVC-wearing aliens. They talk about being taken into this spacecraft and separated, and they're in an exam room. So now they're being examined. They're on a table. These little guys are poking and prodding. They're clicking their nails, taking skin samples. They stick a needle into Betty's belly button, she reports.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, which is not the worst probe we've heard about from aliens.
0: (laughs) Yes. And nevertheless, there's something about like sticking a needle in a belly button that makes me cringe. Yeah.
1: Well, I should hope so. So there's a leader they're watching as Betty and Barney are being probed and prodded. They say they're really excited because the aliens find out that Barney's teeth can be removed. Barney has dentures. (laughs) Hmm. So this is their, they they go into detail, great detail, even talking about Barney's dentures. And this is where we get something called the Zeta Reticuli incident, which is what this Betty and Barney Hill incident is also known as. Um, Betty is alone with the leader of these creatures. And she's asking like, where are you guys from? And they tell her like, yeah, you don't know. You're, you know, basically too stupid to know, but I'll show you a map. And under hypnosis, she draws a star map that supposedly shows the sky as it's seen from a planet orbiting the star Zeta Reticuli. And this is where they're from. Hmm. So again, this ends up in 1965, a newspaper article picks up the story and the rest is history. It should be known that Dr. Simon um, tells people that he concludes it's a fantasy He says, I quote, in other words, that it was a dream. The abduction did not happen. I feel quite confident that there was a whole experience and an experience with the UFO if we clearly define that. It does not involve visitations from outer space, but it does involve seeing an object which cannot be identified at the time, whatever it is. I think that did take place, but from there on, I think it was largely a dream. Hmm. So he denies that. Barney passes away in 1969. He was a little more ambivalent about what happened again. I think he felt somewhat embarrassed by it from what I've read. Betty, though, passes away in 2000. Gosh, I think it's three, but it might be 2004. I forgot to check. Hmm. Um, And she vehemently gives talks. She believes this. She is involved in ufology the rest of her life.
0: Gotcha, and does does um this is like the first kind of famous uh, hypnosis regression that I've ever heard of
1: with aliens yeah.
0: or or at all? I mean, from that, I mean, I'm talking on a chronology here. So in '61, right? I it became infamous in the 1980s during the Satanic Panic, right? Because uh, oh yes, yeah. yeah, that's I think it lost a lot of confidence uh, with people in the 80s and then well, into the 90s.
1: And you noticed, you know, Dr. Simon, he is co-owners to the rights of that book that's written. He's getting a little bit of kickback from it, but at the same time, he's not going to risk his reputation. So he's like, sure, I'll take the royalties from the book. Oh, by the way, that didn't happen. (laughs) I personally think is a little shady.
0: Well, you know, it's, there's some cake. He has it and he's eating it. So
1: that's right. So yeah, Eric, you were you've been sending me links to all sorts of articles. Are are some of my favorite, which are have been out lately. Is that what the U.S. military says? Maybe, maybe not. Right. <laughs> Probably not. Well, we can't say definitely. Right. Well, that's the thing
0: is that uh, I love that the some of the the accounts that are in media right now about these they're calling them uh, what are, what's UAP, which is unidentified aerial phenomena right they did that because ufo has has over the years has gained so much uh, connotations and polarizing beliefs about it so they came up with a new acronym and that's fine
1: but they rebranded <laughs>
0: yeah there you go they
1: rebranded is what they did
0: they did and the you know the report basically said we can't rule out that it's not technology from some other planet Uh, but it's inconclusive to which there's two questions that sort of come to mind immediately when i read this and the first question is what do you need like a sign that basically says hi i'm from outer space (laughs) like what what is the acceptable like evidence that would prove definitively that this is from another planet so that's a and b it seems to me that like the media really hitched on to only half of that or some media outlets. I remember.
1: Th- uh, yeah, you said that. But then I sent you like five other headlines that.
0: Well, I was thinking specifically <laughs> of like New York Times, which, of course, you know, in America. No,
1: the New York Times said, we don't know. Well, in the headline.
0: I- really, I thought that now I have to go back and look. I thought their headline was like um, government says they can't tell if it's from space or not. But they didn't say well, like they can't yeah. rule it out. Like they didn't emphasize that. You know, they said the the loud part they focused on was, uh, not rather than we don't know. So yeah, yeah.
1: So I want to talk. It was, like, about. Imagine you have to write this story on like this vague report. The report's like so vague, and then you have to write like a news story on it. Like the government says, meh. <laughs> right. We don't know you just went into how you don't think it's likely.
0: I don't know. No, I don't know. I have no clue. I have reason no reason to believe, but that being said, yeah, maybe I'm contradicting myself here. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I feel like, though, so, that I can't say I, I would not definitively say that I you know that it's not or that it is. It's, are we just back at the same place? Am I just running around? In we are.
1: Yet? Tell us your story, Eric.
0: <laughs> onward. Onward. These circles are getting dizzying. Well, I want to talk about something that happened a few decades um, after uh, this incident. I want to talk about an incident that was witnessed by perhaps the largest audience of people um, in the United States, you know, the, the Hills incident was something that was witnessed by two people, whatever it was. Uh, but yes. th- whatever happened in Phoenix, Arizona on March 13th, 1997 was witnessed by literally thousands of people. So thousands of people saw something and exactly what it is, of course, is, you know, still open to speculation. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, These lights, they came to be known as the Phoenix Lights, and that's what I'll call them. But the Phoenix Lights were seen on March 13th, 1997, from Nevada through Arizona, actually all the way down across the border to Mexico. And so that is a path of over 500 miles. And it happened between 7.30 and 10.30 p.m. uh, mountain time. And it's been described as a series of lights. It's been described as lights in a V-shaped formation, and it's been described as a large V-shaped craft, uh, depending on who you're talking to. Uh, The person who was probably best at recording the different accounts that people gathered was a fellow by the name of Peter Davenport. Peter Davenport runs the National Reporting Center, the National UFO Reporting Center, which sounds really official. Yeah, he sounds like he's a guy. He with sounds
1: a, like a. Um,
0: what? Go ahead. I want to hear what this is. What does he sound like? Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you who I. Oh it just
1: sounds like you picked a you picked a random soap opera name, <laughs> like yeah. Peter
0: Davenport. Peter Davenport. He has a he has an eye patch, right? Uh, no, I don't know if he has a eye patch yeah. or not. Uh, I was thinking, um, you know, guy from soap opera. But Peter Davenport is a basically a guy with a phone. Um, this, this National UFO Reporting Center um, is just this one man's uh, project, his own passion project. He collects uh, UFO stories. He's, you know, it's got a couple of folks running this operation, but it's not connected in any way to the U.S. government that we know of. Except that in the area... A lot of police stations will uh, refer people to him when they call the police station with reports. And I get the feeling from what I'm reading that the police do it because they basically just don't know how, you know, they don't have anything else to do with it. Right. Like someone calls the police and they're like, hey, I saw a UFO. Uh, The police aren't really, you know, that's not what we pay our police forces for. You know, they don't. They're not UFO investigators. That's not what
1: you police pay your police forces for. And that's all I
0: want them to do. Well, fair enough. I mean, but I think that that's going to expand um, some people's duties and perhaps require a little more pay. Uh, but no, you know, the average person, I think the average person who's working as a police officer is like, well, you know, unless they're stealing your car or like breaking into your garage, like I really, you know, that's great. You saw lights in the sky. Thanks for calling. Uh, so I think that in some ways, like
1: they're... aliens are stealing my car.
0: Well, I'm glad we've come up with the, uh, the title of our show for this week. So that's awesome. I get the feeling that the police kind of give the number to people because it kind of, you know, it gives, gets rid of them. Like, here, go call this guy. He collects stories. Uh, and they call Peter Davenport. And so he collects – he got a bunch of different uh, stories, including one from an, an unlikely source. So the first official sighting was at 6.55 p.m. in Nevada. Uh, someone said they saw a V-shaped object. Uh, that had six lights on Leading Edge. And the person there who reported said that it was approximately the size of a 747. So big, right? I mean, because, you know, obviously a passenger jet is huge. But it's going to get bigger in some other people's um, accounts. The next account I have, and this is my absolute favorite. You'll never guess where the next report comes from. It comes from a private pilot who's flying into Phoenix um, that night. And he's flying with his son. And he, his son actually taps his dad and says, hey, dad, what's that? Like these lights. And the pilot calls into the tower and says, hey, I'm seeing like six lights flying in formation. Do you know what that is? And the tower you know, goes back and says, um, we don't know what you're talking about. Like we don't have any, you know, we have no evidence of this. There's nothing on radar. Turns out that the pilot was Kurt Russell. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. Right? Yeah. And he actually went on BBC uh, to talk about it. Uh, He was flying his airplane. This is information that he gave freely over the air on the BBC, uh, on his BBC appearance. It was a talk show on BBC. Uh, He says that he was in his general aviation airplane, tail number B2TS. And and yeah, he, he called it in. But he wouldn't, you know, he's the most famous person, but he's not the only person. Uh, Over 20,000 people will say they saw it at some point, including people like, uh, you got police officers, ex-military, doctors, lawyers, a former airline pilot with over 13,000 hours of flight time. You know, these are people that have a certain measure of respect in, in society that reporting on funny lights in the sky or strange crafts. Um, you know, people might start looking at you kind of funny. There's plenty of people backing up the account. Even so, there are repercussions if you say that you saw a UFO.
1: So how is this going to be addressed? I'm wondering, like, how is this turning out? If everybody says it.
0: You know, what's really funny is everybody's <laughs> everybody says it, but nobody. Do wants they deny it. it? So I'm going to now hmm. flash forward to a quote. Uh, From a Christopher Mellon. Christopher Mellon was a deputy assistant secretary of intelligence under both Clinton and George W. Bush. And his quote that he gives, and this isn't specifically about either the Hill case, nor is it about the Phoenix Lights. It's actually about something more recent. He says, quote, nobody wants to be the alien guy in national security bureaucracy. Nobody wants to be ridiculed or sidelined for drawing attention to the issue. This is true up and down the chain of command. It's a serious and recurring impediment to progress, unquote. So, you know, I think that kind of answers it, right? I don't think there's necessarily the men in black kind of coming and telling people to, to stay quiet or erasing their memories. I think it's just there's a lot of social pressure, as you've mentioned with the hills, right? There's a lot of social pressure to folks um, coming forward and saying they saw something. And I think that's enough to silence people. And there's I have a specific case here that kind of illustrates exactly my point that has a strange twist at the end, because two people in uh, Arizona government do, in fact, address it in two very, very different ways. Uh, One is a Phoenix City Councilwoman by the name of Frances Barwood. And the other is the governor at the time, Governor Fife Symington, who is a Baltimore native.
1: You are making up these names, Eric. You are making up these names.
0: I'm not, and he really is from Baltimore. <laughs> he actually went to school down the street from where I'm sitting right this very second. But um, fascinating, indeed. So, Phoenix City Councilman Francis Barwood actually said. Um, On record, during a city council meeting, is anyone doing any investigations about these hundreds of calls that have called from different people? And apparently someone kind of told her, pulled her aside afterwards and said, you shouldn't have said that. Governor Fife Symington has a weekly radio show at the time. Someone calls into Governor Symington's radio show and they say, Governor, what are you going to do about these lights? And he responded to the caller, this is the first that I've ever heard of it. Barwood calls Senator John McCain, who is senator of Arizona at the time. Uh, he referred it to the Air Force. Uh, the Air Force publicly said that they had nothing you know, that they could do about it. There was an official government investigation called Project Blue Book, but that was closed in 1969. So basically, I was even, saying,
1: yeah, I know Betty and Barney Hill were part of that. Is that right? The hills were in Project Blue Book,
0: yeah. Gotcha. Uh, The local Air Force Base uh, commander, Lieutenant Colonel Mike Hauser, made a statement. He says, we have nothing to hide, but the fact is we don't investigate UFOs. However, Hauser did confirm that some F-16s were in the air that night, um, but said it was a routine training and had nothing to do uh, with the lights. Barwood, however, is going to... That's not the end of it for her, actually. She's going to actually meet with out-and-out out public ridicule by none other than the governor himself. A few days later, um, Governor Fife Symington will hold a news conference, and he says, you know, we've gotten to the bottom of this. Like, we know who's actually responsible. Then he, like, kind of, like, makes a motion, and in walks one of his people on his staff, dressed up in a Halloween costume alien suit. You know, there's guffaws, and it's it's humiliating. So Barwood is is yeah. publicly humiliated um, for even just asking, what are we going to do about this, for acknowledging it? And Fife Symington says that he didn't mean to, uh, he wasn't trying to, to humiliate anyone, although obviously, you know, I would have been humiliated if that happens to me. But he says that he was just trying to lighten it up because things were just getting too serious, he said.
1: Break out the alien suits every time things get serious. Now I know what to do.
0: Yeah, she that isn't the only. Ridicule. Sorry, I'm trying, I'm
1: trying, I'm holding it back, trying not to giggle at Fife Symington for some reason.
0: What just the name? <laughs> that name's me. killing me. Okay. Fife
1: Symington, yeah. I'm swearing you made that up.
0: I, you can look, hey, the public record is there for everyone to see. That isn't the only um ridicule city councilwoman Barwood is going to run into. Some people put signs up around the office where she works that says, Speak into the tinfoil, I will hear you. They're making like signs with pictures, uh, with pictures of her on it, you know, that are mocking. So she really does kind of suffer. But so here's where the story takes a twist. Turns out that Fife Symington later will come out and say, I saw a UFO in the Arizona sky. Not only does he say that, I'm literally reading you at the headline of the editorial he wrote for CNN called Symington. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I saw a UFO in the Arizona in the Arizona sky. You, I'm not going to read it to you word for word, but go ahead and look it up. So um, there have been explanations put forward about what the Phoenix lights were. The Maryland Air National Guard was out in Arizona at the time doing things that they do. Um, I don't know anything about that sort of thing, but apparently they said that they had dropped some flares. That would be some.
1: Pretty yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No.
0: Flares that stay in formation that fly from Nevada to Mexico, that's something, you know, what, whatevs, uh, you know, sure.
1: That, what, so what's your favorite explanation?
0: Honestly, I haven't the slightest. These are – some folks say they saw a giant craft. Some folks thought they saw, like, ind- six independent smaller crafts, kind of all over the place. Again, one person said – But
1: I mean explanation. But what was the explanation like? Okay, well, that's pretty good. We dropped some lights. They flew – Information for a very long time.
0: I'm not buying that. No, you know,
1: (laughs) we put some flares on birds, and we had the birds. Like, no, those are those are all good. The topic of UFOs and just the idea of ufology—it's so dense, and there's so much to it. And I think that's one of the reasons why I kind of didn't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole because, you know, that's that's a lot of information out there. I do like to look at it in. Through the lens of belief and through how people were treated. So I like how you kind of looked at that.
0: Yeah. And to answer your your, your question, you asked, like, what's my favorite um, explanation? The only explanation put forward was the one from the, the government that said this was flares. I find that wholly unsatisfying for all the reasons. But other than that, yeah, then it goes back to exactly what you just said. What is it? I got me. I mean, honestly, I'm more likely and you're going to you're going to laugh. You're going to ridicule me and you're going to make signs and dress up um, like John Keel, because I'm going to tell you that my favorite explanation for. Oh, no.
1: Let's say it together, everyone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Buckaroo Banzai is the greatest movie of the 1980s. There I said it. And Buckaroo Banzai got it
1: inter right.
0: That's across the eighth dimension. Dim- that's right. That's
1: interdimensional right. aliens. You
0: heard it here first last year. That's right. So that's our show for this week. Uh, thanks for listening in. If you have an explanation, feel free to drop us a line either at our Instagram. What is that again, Becca?
1: At Jackalup Carnival
0: and- on Instagram. At Instagram, and we also have an email uh, jackalup carnival at protonmail.com. And you can do that, or you can just tell us if you have something that you would like us to talk about um, and do our own investigation on, or opine, or find some way for me to work extra dimensional entities into. Um, I'll be happy to do that for now. Stay safe, be careful, and we'll see you in two weeks.
1: Till next time. Carnival. We can end better. Go ahead.
0: The truth is out there.